What's going on, everybody? My name is Jason Willis. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Downtown NFL Podcast. Like I mentioned on the last episode, I'm flying solo today because Connor is on a vacation with his girlfriend. They're in Aruba. I uh, hope everything's going well for them. But here today, we will be doing a continuation of our last podcast where we discuss the offensive free agents. And today we'll be doing the defensive side of the football, which is kind of the same story as it has super loaded position groups and also some very weak position groups. And it should also be prefaced that as the legal tampering period opens Monday, these players will not be signing to deals like technically like officially. It'll only be agreed upon with the teams, which is strange, but the league year doesn't open until the seventeenth, so it's just how the NFL always does things, but it's just something to keep in mind. But yeah, so let's just get right into it. The first, I started with the pass rushers as the first group, and it's actually an incredibly stacked group for such an important position group. You'd think that this position wouldn't be so loaded in free agency. You'd think the teams would do a better job of retaining these players to contracts. But starting off with one, uh, Yannick Ngalkwe, who has been traded twice already, and he's played for three different teams in his young career, which makes it seem strange that he's such a highly sought-after player. But he is. He's a very talented pass rusher who's still young, and like I said, he's been traded twice already, but it means teams want his skill set, and when he was in Jacksonville, he displayed all the abilities to be a top-flight pass rusher. This was most evident in his sophomore season when he was in Jacksonville, when he actually had 12 sacks playing in all 16 games. That is a far cry from where he produced at this year, as this was his worst season statistically, as he bounced between the Ravens and the Vikings. He only started seven games, recording only three sacks, which leads you to wonder what his contract and value is going to be coming into this offseason. But for a player who's still pretty young and is plays a premium position in the NFL, well, you got to imagine he's going to be someone that's highly sought after by teams and is probably going to receive a decent payday as they, I would cut him some slack for last year bouncing between two different teams, and especially with one being the Ravens, which doesn't quite fit the skill set of a player of Ngaukwe. They fit, they're more known for having more powerful, like, 3-4 end pass rushers, whereas you'd rather see Ngaukwe play the base end in, like, 4-3 sets, and you'd rather him be in an even front than an odd front, for especially. So the Ravens fit was always strange to me, but he also wasn't great in Minnesota, so it's strange. But I would imagine this is a player that the NFL would be high on, and he's I would be not surprised to see him get a very handsome payday. And the second is Yannick's teammate from this year, Matt Judon, who has done nothing but produce since he's been in Baltimore. And, I mean, total gem by Ozzy Newsom and his staff. Again, that's all they do. They're incredible. They're probably the best in the game. Him, uh, Ozzy Newsom now retired and moving to a different area in the Ravens. But him and Eric DaCosta are both very talented finding these players. And Judon is someone I believe will likely be back in Baltimore. I just can't really see him leaving to go anywhere else. I can't imagine the Ravens allowing him to leave with the way they prioritize that position so well. But they've also done a good job at finding like players to play that position and play that role throughout for a very long time now. So I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest, actually, if he did leave with the way they do things. Like, 
they're just the Ravens are always a tough team to predict, but they do a good job of keeping their own guys, and I would imagine he stays in Baltimore. And the third one is Justin Houston. He's older, but he's still giving teams good production. He's probably ring chasing at this point. I wouldn't rule out a return to the Chiefs, honestly. He's definitely ring chasing at this point, but he still will give you some good juice on third downs. We probably don't want him as an every down starter. And then I have Jadavian Clowney, who's just a massive question mark at this point. Obviously, he's the highly touted number one overall pick. Everyone's seen that ridiculous play in South Carolina where he knocked that Michigan dude's helmet off. We've all seen those high-end great moments from Clowney's career. But then you have the very low end of his career. Was almost a non-factor in Tennessee last year and managed only three sacks in Seattle the year before. After being traded after being traded from Houston to Seattle and the big holdout with Houston, where he's going to sign his tag, where he's going to play at all. It's very... Clowney's career arc has been very, very strange for a player of his ilk. It's very... So, the his free agent market is going to be very... I don't know how to even phrase it. It's just going to be very strange. I can't picture him playing, really... Anywhere that's going to allow him to be a starter. But as a reserve, like, third pass rusher or coming in on third downs, I feel like you could do a lot worse than Clowney. But that's also the strange thing about Clowney is he profiles as this elite, incredible pass rusher. But he's an incredible run defender, honestly, who doesn't really produce as much in the passing game as you'd like to see him. So Clowney is in my opinion, the biggest question mark, and he's going to come really cheap, I'd have to imagine, just because I can't see a team giving a player this much question mark guaranteed money, but he also could be one of the biggest steals of free agency. If you get a good 16-game start out of Jadavian Clowney, which we have seen in some years is a possibility. Now, also in this position group, we have a player who made himself a lot of money this year in Trey Hendrickson of the Saints. Mostly a reserve like role type player for them in the past. All Henderson did this year was just go out and post a ridiculous 13 and a half sacks across from Cameron Jordan. Totally out of nowhere, but he's actually a very talented player. Very technically refined in the position. Really good at using his hands. Has decent bend around the corner. Plays the run well. Watching him on tape is actually a delight, and I feel like everyone should go and do it. And whoever gets him is going to get a very, very talented player because. It certainly doesn't seem like the Saints have anywhere near the cap space to bring Hendrickson back, which they've got to be bumming about because he's a talented player. Now, and moving on, Suza Lay is not to spend all day on this position, but there's just so many good ones compared to some of the others, so most of the other position groups will be shorter, honestly. The six is Carl Lawson of the Bengals, who's... I don't know if you guys saw the picture of him working out in the gym. Is jacked beyond belief right now. He's got himself in ridiculous shape. And he's still a young pass rusher who has battled the injuries, especially back at Auburn. And he only was kind of underwhelming sack number-wise. Only five and a half sacks last year. But he's a good high potential piece if anyone's looking for someone off the edge. And I can see, t- I can see him being pretty valuable. I have no idea what his contract looked like. But... He's a valuable, decent enough player who I could see getting a decent payday. I just don't know if he guaranteed a starting job wherever he goes. And the next is Von Miller, who is obviously a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's going to be... He's done just 
amazing things there in Denver, obviously, with the Super Bowl MVP and all of that. And he's just been incredible. And obviously, he didn't play last year with the COVID thing. And now there's even the more off-field stuff, which, if you haven't seen it, it's pretty disturbing. Everyone should go look into it. Not going to get into it here on the pod. But he's strictly judging as the player. He's going to be pass rush in the NFL. And every team in the league would want him. I I can't see him playing anywhere but Denver. It hurts my brain to even picture it. But I also wouldn't be kind of surprised with the stuff that's happened. And they're trying to go younger. And this off-the-field stuff, man, it's no joke. Like, it's not a good look for him at all. And he didn't play last year. They have Bradley Chubb coming back. It could be a position they add to in the draft and in free agency. Don't be too surprised if Miller leaves Denver. But... Then again, he's a legend. He'd probably take a hometown discount to stay there. And like I said before, it's hard to picture him playing anywhere else. Like, even just imagining it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then Shaq Barrett, the pass rusher for the Buccaneers. And also another player who just came out of nowhere in the last two years. In 2019, he just goes out and puts up 19 and a half sacks out of nowhere, leads the whole league. I mean... Nobody saw that coming, and he was playing on the cheap in Tampa Bay. And then this year, in the Super Bowl year, he puts up eight sacks, which, sure, it's not 19 and a half, but it's eight. Eight is no joke, and if you watch the games, he was wrecking havoc, and he was attacking Mahomes that Super Bowl. He's a huge part of the reason they win that Super Bowl in general. And he's a player who's got to be at the top of Tampa's list that they want to bring back. I can't even imagine him leaving. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Tampa to let him leave. But he's also a player who's earned his money at this point. They didn't tag him. They choose to use the tag on Chris Godwin, which I kind of disagree with. Even though Godwin's a great player, I would have brought back Barrett. But he's the one who's earned his money at this point. And if you wanted to go somewhere that's going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money, like the Jets, who certainly would, I wouldn't blame him. Nine is Bud Dupree, who's another strange player, super athletic, was probably kind of overdrafted by Pittsburgh when he came out. The thing with Dupree is the injury that he suffered last year. Big-time injury, tough to come back from. But he's coming off in 2019, recorded 11.5 sacks. Last year, recorded 8. Now, of course, he's probably a player who's massively a part of... He's a beneficiary of TJ Watt and Cameron Hayward and Hargrave when he was there and Tweet and just all these incredible linemen that the Steelers have that they're able to generate pressure at will. So he's not going to go to a team that has a better D-line than that. And when asked to create one-on-one against opposing offensive linemen, it hasn't been something he's excelled at in his career so far. So that's much of a projection. And the same can be said with number 10, Leonard Floyd, who, while he had 10.5 sacks last year, played next to Aaron Donald in Brandon Staley's defense. Like He's an incredibly athletic pass rusher in a similar mold of Dupree. But it's just not someone you would want to pay top money because he's not that alpha dog pass rusher. And speaking of athletic pass rushers, the next guy, Hassan Reddick, is another one who made himself a ridiculous amount of money this year because the Cardinals finally allowed him to just play pass rusher. They no longer were messing around with him as an off-ball linebacker. They weren't dropping him to coverage as much. They said, go hunt quarterbacks. And he was incredible. He was incredible at 12 and a half sacks this year. He had that one game where he had like I think like four sacks in a game. So yeah, that overinflates his numbers a little bit. But I mean, 
12 and a half sacks is nothing to, nothing to like, scoff at. You know what I mean? Like, that's a great season for a pass rusher. But the, the worry is, with Hassan Redick, is it's been one year. How much can we really bank on him doing this? And how much do you pay a guy who's only produced it one season? We've known Redick, since he came out of Temple, could be a good pass rusher. But we've only seen it for one year. So how do you evaluate that? And how do you, like, how much do you pay for that? Is a question I would be asking myself. No. As far as, like, a scheme fit for Hassan Redick, I would say all of them. Because I don't, and not even just Hassan Redick, most of this list is most of these players could play for any team because every team needs pass rushers. You can never have too many good pass rushers, especially in today's league. If you can get a player that is special at hunting quarterbacks, the value is through the roof. I believe pass rusher is the second most valuable position in the league, behind quarterback, obviously. And these players will command top dollar, as they should. They're worth, not all these players are worth the top dollar, but it's the going rate for a position of this importance. Which is why we recovered 11 of these players so far. And I didn't even mention, like, Olivier Vernon, who's a solid veteran player. And probably a starter still in the league, and he's going to give you starter minutes. And starter snap, like, starter snaps, I mean. He's a talented player who just doesn't get discussed. In the, he's, like, my 12th on this list right now. Now, of course, it's not listed in order of talent, who's the best. I listed in who's interesting and most interesting, noteworthy to talk about. Because if it was the best of who we've seen, I mean, David Conley didn't make the list. But it's interesting to talk about. So, moving on from pass rushers and moving on to just interior defensive line. Now, some of these guys are also good at pass rushing, but it's mostly just the interior guys. I want to separate it from the interior and the edge group. And the number one is obviously, it's not even really debate, like the gap is large, is, I don't know about large actually, <laughs> I kind of didn't look at the list close enough, I guess, but I think Shelby Harris for the Broncos, he's got to be, I think he's one of the most underrated players, not just in free agency, but in the entire NFL. The Broncos, I think, would be crazy to let him go. He's, not only does he have some juice in the passing game, he destroys the running game. You don't run into Shelby Harris. It just doesn't happen. I mean, he's just—he's been one of the best players on that defense, one of those one of the unsung heroes of that defense for a long time now, and people don't talk about him. If he gets free agency, or when he gets free agency, I don't think he'll be there for long. Like teams want his skill set. He's valuable because he can play inside and he can kick outside on if he wanted to bring someone in in like heavier situations. It makes sense. Shelby Harris isn't confined to D-tackle. He's got some size flexibility as well. Like, he's not super big, not super small. He's a very talented player. And that, like, he, that'll bring us to the next guy, Dalvin Tomlinson, who is a strict interior guy, as most of these are. But he's also an incredible player. Dalvin Tomlinson is one of the better defensive tackles in the league, which... Knowing David Gettleman means he'll never be allowed to leave because which how much he loves defensive tackles. I can't imagine Tomlinson leaving the Giants. I just because Gettleman loves him. Gettleman loves position players at that position and he's one of the best at it. If losing him would hurt that defense tremendously. <laughs> like they don't have a player that's gonna replace what he does at the level he does. And if he hits free and see, 
he's a day one starter on any team, and it's going to, I bet, maybe this is a hot take, if Dalvin Tomlinson doesn't re-sign with the Giants, like take a hometown discount to sign with the Giants, I would bet he becomes the highest paid interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Maybe behind Aaron Donald, so, yeah, despite Aaron Donald, behind Aaron Donald, just a disclaimer, <laughs> behind Aaron Donald, I bet he'd be the second highest paid defensive, interior defensive lineman in the NFL, which maybe he's not worth that. I don't think he's worth that because he doesn't quite have the pass rushing juice of DeForest Buckner or Chris Jones or Aaron Donald, but players like that don't hit free agency very often, and he's a bigger name as defensive lineman go than Shelby Harris is, even though I think Shelby Harris is a better player. Who? So what basically I'm saying is Shelby Harris is going to be one of the values of free agency. And he's going to be a steal for every team gets him. And the gap, those two, the gap between those two and the next group of guys is pretty large. It's the next guy I have listed is Sheldon Rankins, who's a younger player from the Saints. Good player, don't get me wrong. He's got some talent, but he's not quite Shelby Harris and Dalvin Tomlinson. Not really even close to that level of player. He's average defensive tackle who actually has some pass rushing prowess, which is why the Saints took him in the first place when he was coming out. He's got some juice in the pass rush, but like we discussed with Trey Hendrickson, the Saints can't pay these guys. Like, they don't have the money for these guys anymore. I don't even know how they're going to pay the franchise tag for uh, Marcus Williams. Like, I don't know how they're going to pull this off. They're still, they have like two days to get under the cap, and they're still not there. They're paying Taysom Hill $140 million just to get, like, extending him at that price just to get him under the cap. Breeze retiring helps, but they still are just, I don't know how they can pull it off. <laughs> it's just, it's, but it also, it, they're not even the team that's doing the worst of it right now. Because when you look at the Rams, they are just absurdly over the cap right now. They're not even close to getting under it. I'll pull up the exact numbers here in a second. But they just, they have a lot of work to do. And it's strange that we don't, yeah, negative 33.9 million on, over the cap. And you don't, we have not heard even like a peep about the Rams making moves to get under the cap. The only news we have is them with Matt Stafford. So it's like, what are they doing? Like, how, like what is the plan there for the Rams? It, it seems like there is no plan, which is strange, but they're not going to get guys like Leonard Floyd back. So you're going to have to replace him. It's strange. It's very strange what they're doing. And those those contracts that they signed and selling out to go to that Super Bowl has hurt them so bad, especially not winning. It makes it look worse. But I'm incredibly interested to see what the plan is to get under the cap there. But not to go too far off topic, the the rest of the guys I have on this list I have are the Dominican Sioux, who just won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. But I think what... Even though they said they want to bring the band back together and everyone's coming back, I can't see Sue being one of those guys because the money is limited. And when it comes down to it, I think Sue would be one of the guys. They're like, all right, you can go somewhere else. Thank you for your contributions. Go somewhere else. And then I have uh, K1 Short from the Panthers, who just got released and was a great player for Carolina while he was there. But he's just – he's getting older. But he's still – will be a valuable veteran presence wherever he is. I'm sure he had a great impact on Derek Brown. 
their young rookie and Yuta Gross Motto. So I'm sure he's a great impact on all those guys. And don't I wouldn't honestly be surprised to see him go to Buffalo with Sean McDermott there and everything. Their affinity for signing Panthers players. I mean, Darrell Williams, Kevin Benjamin, Mike Tolbert, Josh Norman. They love those guys. So Keelan Short to Buffalo seems to just make too much sense. And then I have Jonathan Hankins. He just recently played with the Raiders. And we're uh, writing for Raider Ramble like I do. And I'm a Raiders fan. You see Jonathan Hankins on that defense a lot. And it's tough to put him on. It makes it seem weird that you put him on a list like this because that defense is so heinously bad. But when you watch them against the run game, Hankins seems to be the only player who has any idea what he's doing. That defensive line without Jonathan Hankins last year, it's honestly, it wouldn't, I would not know what they would look like without him. Like, it would be hard, hard, hard to watch that team without Jonathan Hankins as he is just, he's one of the elite defense tackles in the league against the run, but he's giving you absolutely zero against the pass. Like, it's just, he's a not factor in the passing game, which makes his value and the money he can make limited. But he's still, that that has value in the NFL, and especially to some of these older head coaches. And if the Giants were to lose Dalvin Tomlinson, don't count them out of signing, bringing back Jonathan Hankins, because... Like we said, David Gettleman loves his big defensive tackles. And Hankins is great at stopping the run. He's great at what he does. Tomlinson, obviously, a, a substantially better pass rusher. But Hankins would be able to come in, play kind of the same position, and for much, much cheaper if that's the route the Giants choose to go. But yeah, that's about it. The defensive tackle position, the interior defensive line position for some 3-4 teams. It's a position group that's strange to talk about because... It has two of the best free agents on that side of the ball in Harris and Tomlinson. But the rest is just pretty average. But as far as position groups for agency go, it's actually one of the better ones. If you combine that with pass rushers, edge rushers, it's actually stout. The defensive line group as a whole is very, very stout. <laughs> like, you don't see this type of talent like Judon and Galway Hendricks and Von Miller, Shaq Barrett. Leonard Floyd, Thomas, and Shelby Harris. Like, these guys don't hit free agency all the time. It's, I think it says more about the strange cap situation that the teams were put in by the NFL this year due to COVID than it does this team's not valuing these players. Which kind of kicks us over in the transition to linebackers as this is a position that's just totally dry in free Like, there's not much to talk about here at all. My four that I wrote down, I have Calvin Noy, Quan Alexander, Jared Davis, and Jayon Brown, who Van Noy was fine for Miami last year. Like, he wasn't bad. He wasn't fantastic. He was Kyle Van Noy. You're going to get average production. You're going to get, av- like, above average play. And he's going to be a rock on the linebacker court. You're never going to hate him. He's never going to be an all-pro. Never going to be, probably even not even going to be a Pro Bowl. But he's a good player. And then after that, you have, I mean, Quan Alexander, Jared Davis, Jalen Brown are all just, I would prefer to see them as backup players at this point. Especially uh, Quan Alexander. Talk about a guy who got overpaid just for his physical attributes in San Francisco. 
And they couldn't wait to unload that contract to New Orleans, trading him for chips. And now, of course, New Orleans can't pay anyone. He was one of the first people gone with that massive contract. They only traded for him in a Super Bowl push. And I understand that. They need his linebacker play. He's probably the most athletic linebacker they have. But the injuries and the below-average production leads... I mean, I have no confidence in signing him. And Jared Davis and Champ Brown are just... They're fine players, like fine reserve players. But there's a reason they're here. Their teams have drafted to replace them. They're not valuable to those teams. And they're not really needed. I mean, and as linebackers go, it's kind of similar in the vein of running backs, as we talked on the last pod, where on a lot of teams, they're not overly valuable. And it's probably the least valuable position on a defense, or least. They're like, not the least valuable, that's probably not fair to say, but the most easily replaced position. Like, you can get the production from later round guys. You don't always have to spend a lot of money on it or give high draft capital to this position. It has value. That is no doubt. It definitely has some value. But as it's not as valuable as corner or pass rusher or shoring up your defensive line or having a good safeties in the back end. If you can get average linebacker play and surround it with great talent everywhere else, that is significantly more valuable, in my opinion at least. So that's why this position group, you're not going to give it that much money. So these players, I mean, there's not much more really to say here, honestly. Pretty bad position group as far as free agency goes. If your team needs linebackers, look to the draft, where it's actually a decent class. It's, I think it's actually got a good group. I mean, I'm finishing up my linebacker scouting now. But Parsons is going to have a first-round grade for me. He's incredible. Uh, Obusu Koromoa from Notre Dame. I might just end up grading him as a safety. But it's clear to me he's he is Jeremy Chin from this year. Use him the same way Jeremy Chin was used. And I think I have him high, with a higher grade than Chin. And I had Chin last year. And I had Chin as a first-round grade. I loved him. But JOK is similar in that way. I think he's actually faster. And I think his man coverage abilities are better, which is crazy. Like, you didn't, there's not many linebackers like him who would go out and just man cover slots and do it well, like very well. So he's very interesting. And uh, my, no, my co-host, Connor, loves uh, Jabril Cox from LSU. I personally, not, not as high on him, but he's got his suitors for sure. And then... Um, Jimmy Davis has his suitors, and Zayvon Collins, almost <laughs> Zayvon Collins, is uh, as another very talented player from uh, Tulsa, who is just absurdly athletic, somewhat in the mold of uh, what's his face from last year with Clemson, Isaiah Simmons, and they're just where they have a like a very athletic and stout build to the position, and they can do a lot of things abnormal for normal linebackers and then there's like your set middle linebacker like Nick Bolton and when Connor's on the pod next hopefully soon we'll have him talk about Baron Browning his from Ohio State who he loves we're gonna have to have a discussion about him at some point because I just don't see it but he has his students as well so if you're a fan of a team in particular need of linebackers don't look to free agency to shore up this that position group for your team because it's just simply not there this year. And the same can also kind of be said about corner. Now, 
corner being one of the most valuable position groups in the league in general, offense or defensive side of the ball, you're not going to see a lot of top flight corners hit free agency very often because teams value these guys. They get them paid. They get them locked up. If when you have an elite one in the building, you don't let them leave, really. And so the best one, really, in this year's group is Shaquille Griffin from Seattle, who was kind of, he got lumped in with that awful defense that they had this year. They were calling like the Legion of Womb or something like that. That was pretty funny. But they had, uh, Shaquille Griffin's an okay player. He's not, he's not an elite corner by any means, but he's probably in the 15 to 20 range, which makes him like about an average, like a above average starter in the league, which is good. He's one of the, he's a starting corner in the NFL. No doubts about that. And, it would. It's surprising that he's here with how bad the Seattle defense is. Honestly, it's surprising that they let him get here. But you know, sometimes Seattle does not do things the normal way. <laughs> They're a strange franchise when it comes to the off season. They don't draft well. They give two first round picks for Jamal Adams. They. They're strange. So Shugo Griffin being here and leaving more than likely is, I guess, not all that surprising in all honesty. And. He'll get a decent payday from a team. Probably a team like the Jets, who severely lacks cover corners. And is historically, it seems like, especially with coming off that Tremaine Johnson acquisition, overpays for this position. And they'll get Shaquille Griffin top-flight cornerback money. Someone will give him top-flight cornerback money. And they'll be somewhat disappointed. But I believe he'll give you still solid to good play. And the next one is Desmond King, who is another player who's been just strange in his career so far. He was an all-pro a few years ago to being traded this year for day three picks to Tennessee. And that was just a few-game experiment for Tennessee to help from the playoff push. They, I don't think they ever really had intentions of signing him long-term. But if you're a team that's in need of nickel corner play, Desmond King can give it to you at an elite level. Now, I know for a lot of people... The word nickel corner is kind of like a dirty word to people. They think that means like, oh, he can't hang on the outside. He's not a good player. But that's not true. Teams, the new base in the NFL is nickel with how much teams pass. So a nickel corner is damn near a starting player. Like, and one who can give you elite production like Desmond King, especially with the way slot receivers are being used in the NFL in a way that's different more than ever, King is incredibly valuable for what he can do, especially with his position versatility, being able to kick back to safety. Is we'd like to see him if you'd like to see him at safety if you could kick him back into like a cover two type of shell. But if you're in cover three, you don't really want him many single high looks. He doesn't quite have the range for that. But Kim, his position is slot corner, and that, despite the narrative around the position among fans, is very valuable to the NFL. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't can get paid due to the way we've seen him play at that position, which leads me into uh, Justin Coleman, who recently got released from the Lions and is a player who is also dominant from the corner, from the slot corner position, I mean. is He isn't quite at Desmond King's all-pro level, but he's very good at it, and the team will pay him decent money to go do that for their team, for their, for their defense, I mean. It's a valuable position, and people need to wake up to this because these players are going to start making money, and they're not going to be playing on the outside. <laughs> Fans might be surprised by that, but it is well worth the addition. I promise you, if your team signs Desmond King, you will be thankful if you have to play one of these 
big slot wide receivers like Adam Thielen or Juju Smith-Schuster, wherever he goes. Or when you play the Patriots with Julian Edelman, like if you can eliminate those guys, you eliminate a massive part of what a lot of these teams want to do. So these slot defender corners have high amounts of value in the league. It just hasn't necessarily translated to like a wider offense, I would say. Now, rounding out this group, we have a couple of injured guys in uh, William Jackson and Jason Verrett. But it's just because it's just the injuries that are why they're here. Because when they play, we're talking about elite players of the position. Which is a shame because these guys should be in this market looking to get generational wealth for their and their families. And making and being put on teams where they can be starters and honestly probably shouldn't even be here. <laughs> like if they were not injured so much, they probably wouldn't be here. But if a team can sign them and they're probably going to settle for like one year prove it deals, one, maybe two years. And if a team can sign them and get the uninjured versions of that, you're getting starting corners, starting caliber corners on the cheap, which has value that cannot be overstated, honestly. <laughs> and it also, you have older dudes in this group like Casey Hayward and Xavier Rhodes. And not to this on either of those players, but they're getting kind of towards the age where they, you start to say they can't run. They can't run anymore. And if it was up to me, if I was sign, choosing to sign between signing for Red or Jackson or Rhodes or Hayward, I'd be on Team Jackson for Red, no doubt about it. Even though, like I said, to be fair to Rhodes, Rhodes especially, he found his form again in Indianapolis last year. And if I was him, I would definitely go back to Indianapolis because he was locking people down in Indianapolis. He fits that defense well. And I would, if I was him, I'd like to see him stay. Whereas with Casey Hayward, he wasn't a fit for what Brandon Staley's going to be doing over there in Los Angeles. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back, maybe even back to Green Bay. Seems like a decent fit for him as well. And if not there, he's already been heavily linked to the Raiders because they have Gus Bradley, their former defensive coordinator, or his former defensive coordinator in LA, where he had some of his best years. He was a pro bowler there many times, was considered one of the top corners in the league. So this is a position group that's more interesting than it is good, but do not sleep on players like Shaquille Griffin and Desmond King getting bigger paydays than you might think. Like, they're going to get paid by someone. And if it's your team, don't be surprised. Like, don't be surprised when they don't give you, especially Shaquille Griffin, doesn't give you the production you're expecting for the money you're paying him. Desmond King's more of a wild card because he's had that one elite year and a down year. So it's, I'm not really sure what you're going to get there if it lies somewhere in the middle. He's probably not going to touch that price tag that you signed him for either. But if you can get the high end of his variance, you're getting probably a steal for the price you're going to pay him. So King is, I think, one of the more interesting free agents available in the entire league right now. I would be very interested in any team signing him. I think he fits almost every team, especially if you're a team that plays a lot of too high and needs slot corners. And I think my favorite fit for King especially would be Philadelphia just because the severe lack of corner play that they've had there for so long. Mikhail Roby Coleman needs to stop being trotted out there. Go get Desmond King. They can kick him back to safety sometimes they need to. But let him hang out in the slot for the most part and take away some of those guys. Some of those guys in the slot, especially in the NFC East, 
with against the Giants who have damn near all slot receivers and Tate and Shepard and all those guys. And Dallas who has just a surplus of receivers at any time with CD, CD Lamb, Gallup, and Coop who can all play in the slot at different times. And the uh, Washington, I almost said the R word, Washington who has Terry McLaurin who often gets plays out of the slot as well. So I think Desmond King to the Eagles is such a very natural and good fit, and I would love to see that happen for both sides, honestly. Which, like we are talking about, scheme versatility moves us over nicely into safeties. And I I like ending the podcast, this position group, because it's a very stout and good position group. It's fun, more fun to talk about than corner linebacker were. But they leading off of this group, I have Anthony Harris from uh, Minnesota, who is a PFF darling. PFF loves the guy. He just, he's never been, like, well, I considered by fans an elite player. But from PFF and from NFL teams, he got franchise tag last year. I mean, from the teams, he's been considered a highly valuable player and sought-after player. So I'm surprised Minnesota didn't try hard to bring it back this year. But I know he did, he wasn't as good this year as he was in 2019, but he's going to get paid. I would not be surprised to see him pay, get paid, especially with his ball with his ball skills. That's what defenses love from their safeties is being able to take the football away, which is something number two on this list, Malik Hooker, specializes in. Now, Malik Hooker, when he's not hurt, is a one of, if one of the best center fielding safeties in the NFL, profiles as that anyway is every time he is healthy, it's just, it's magnificent to watch the range he is able to cover in playing center field. Of the Playing in center field, he's just incredible. It makes no sense how he's able to get from sideline to sideline the way he does it. It shouldn't be possible. He does it at a level most players can't. It's now not to drop any crazy takes on the pod. I'm not comparing the two, but it's reminiscent of how you saw Ed Reed do it. And he just, but he simply wasn't a fit in Indianapolis with that too high shell. They want to run a lot. They want to run a lot of cover too. Where you want Blake Cooker, you just want him center fielding and just roaming, just playing free. So if you're playing a cover three or a single high scheme a lot, Blake Cooker becomes instantly valuable to your team, especially where he's coming off of the injuries and doesn't have super high statistical production. Due to like the injuries and the scheme fits not being great, he's gonna—he's not gonna command too much money. I can't imagine anyway. So his fit is incredibly interesting, and I think he's the most interesting safety on the list, like by a lot, because he's gonna come on a decent value, and if he goes, like if he goes to the right scheme fit, you're getting a bargain, and I think he could become one of the best safeties in the NFL. Because Malik Hooker, the one thing he's going to do is take the football away. He's not going to get involved in tackling very much. He's not someone you ever really want being a force player in the run game, for sure. But he will go and get the football. Incredible ball skills, incredible range. Any single high football team should be dying to get their hands on Malik Hooker. Especially at the price he's going to command. And number three, I have Keanu Neal, who's a different type of player from Malik Hooker. You way harder of a way more of a hitter than uh, Malik Hooker ever will be. He 
he likes hitting a lot more in the run game. He will get involved a lot more. He's a player you actually do want as a force player. You can see him creep down to the box. He blitz him from time to time. But he's hardly a weakness back there in his own coverage. The only reason Keanu Neal is even here is due to the injuries. Atlanta just couldn't rely on him. And Atlanta's going more into a rebuild mode anyway. You're not paying that him all that much money. But he's a good player. And without the injuries, he's a player who is a Pro Bowl level player. You don't see this type of player hit frequencies very often. So it's surprising that he's here. But, I mean, it, the, it makes sense why Atlanta doesn't have the funds or the need to keep him around. So I would love to see Young Neal go to most teams, honestly, just due to the role he plays. But I would like to see him go to any team that runs a variation of that cover three defense that we saw take over in Seattle, which is, of course, like the Raiders, or go to Seattle. Is would be the logical scheme fits, or even like a sneaky fit is the Chargers, but I think you want to use Derwin James used in the same way that you'd want to use Keanu Neal. I mean, I would love to see Derwin James at some point play corner. <laughs> I think he could do it at a high level. I think he'd be the best corner on that football team. And I think, uh, what's the name? Brandon Staley, the head coach they just got in LA, is, I think he's going to try that. I think he's a very smart player. He's going to use his best players in the role that suits them the best. And Derwin James is an elite, high-end man cover player. And I, if they were to do that with Derwin James and bring Keanu Neal in feasibly, if it's even possible for them with the cap, I know it's, I haven't looked into their cap situation to be totally honest, but you're talking about a defense that has so many chess pieces that can just be used in a variety of different ways. I would, that fit would be, that's my favorite, one of my favorite fits that I've thought of so far of this entire class. And just seeing that happen would be scary for most teams in the NFL, honestly, which it's also pretty on brand for the Chargers because he can never stay healthy. So why wouldn't they sign him? And the other guys I have on the list, just to round it out a little bit, are Jaquiski Tart from San Francisco and Trey Boston. Trey Boston, it seems like he is in the free agency market every year. I feel like every time we look through his free agent list, Trey Boston's on it. But he's another player who's a good center fielder. Like, he will go make plays in the football. And he's not, like, terrible, terrible in the run game. So, kind of, like, again, not surprising that he's here because he's always here. But surprising that he's here because he's a decent player and is a starter in the league. Every time he hits this free agency, whatever team he signs with, he starts with day one. It makes no sense. It's kind of similar to Jonathan Hankins. Like, he hits free agency a lot. And oftentimes waits a while to find it to be able to get a job and then starts day one it's a how is this how is he such a starting player in the nfl and a valuable player in the nfl but you wait so long to pay him a trey boston probably won't sign until a late may or maybe even later than that and but i bet you start weeks one it starts week one man it's just how it works with him i don't get it but how that's the book on him right now and jacquiski tar is i mean Probably a beneficiary of um, Salah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back to the Jets where they need someone opposite of Marcus May, who they just tagged, who would have made this position group a lot more fun to talk about. <laughs> but that's obviously not going to happen. May's way too good to be testing any sort of free agency. But Jaquiski Tart to the Jets with Salah seems to make too much sense. Salah got the best years out of him that he's ever had. And I just, I can't, I mean... 
I would I would actually really like to see that fit. I think that's his best fit for him. He's not going to be a high-priced player anyway. He's just been an average to below-average safety his whole career. But yeah, so that about rounds out this position group and rounds out the episode. Like, like I said, it was might have been kind of strange doing this episode without Connor here and doing it by myself. It was my first attempt at ever doing a podcast on my own. But I just I did want to go back and touch on one of the things in the last episode because since that was recorded, one of those players has actually already signed a deal. Uh, Aaron Jones has signed a deal or re-signed with the Green Bay Packers. They have well came to terms on a deal with the Green Bay Packers, not officially signed yet. Has come to terms with a deal with the Green Bay Packers, which is pretty funny considering how me. And Connor just ripped on teams for signing running backs. And of all teams to do it, it's the Packers. Now, as we said in the episode, Aaron Jones is not a bad football player at all. In any sense of the word. He's actually a good football player. If one of the better running backs in the league, he's probably top 10 running back in the league. He's valuable in the run and the pass game. He does everything they need for them in that offense. But the Packers, who are so stingy in free agency, they don't spend money in free agency very often. Spend it on a running back. And what makes what tops it off and makes it even better is the draft that they had last year. With Jordan Love in the first round, and then Aaron Rodgers goes and wins an MVP. And then you take A.J. Dillon in the second round, and you sign Aaron Jones to this massive contract. Like, why would you... I'll pull up the terms here of the Aaron Jones contract. And then, to make it even better, the third round pick was Josiah DeGuara, and then Robert Tonyan blows up, who's a restricted free agency. Like, who's a restricted free agent, who they're going to try and bring back. So the Packers have effectively wasted three their entire draft from last year. That, and the funnier part about this is it's not even revisionist history. We all said it at the time. If the Packers could have gotten any sort of production out of their draft class this year, they might be in the Super Bowl this year. There might be a Super Bowl chance with what we saw the Chiefs were playing with. It's just massive, massively bad resource allocation to give Aaron Jones four years and $48 million. It's just, it's shocking for one to come from the Packers. And then it's just the NFL does not learn. They always think that their guy will be the guy who bucks the trend, and we haven't had one yet that's going to do it. I mean, maybe Kamara's going to do it, but the Saints are looking a lot better right now without that massive contract on the books. The Panthers, I like the prospects of the Panthers a little bit better if they don't have that massive McCaffrey contract on the books, which the McCaffrey one is a good one to talk about for a second because he, the by the time the Panthers are able to put together a winning team, McCaffrey's not going to be old, not going to be a valuable member of that team. You're going to look to move on from that contract. So why pay it at a position of such low value? Ask the Rams how they felt about paying that Todd Gurley contract. Ask the Falcons how they felt about paying Devontae Freeman. The Cowboys probably still have Byron Jones on their team, who maybe isn't great, but would have helped that awful defense if they don't sign Ezekiel Elliott to that massive contract. It's like, Teams just never understand what, like, they are very slow to understand, I should say, positional value in the NFL, 
And it is strange because you see, you're going to keep seeing these deals get signed. You're going to keep seeing it, especially with teams that keep taking first-round running backs. Like the Giants, you took Saquon Barkley in the top three of the NFL draft. You got to pay that. You got to justify it, even though he's been hurt and even though he's one of the best running backs in the NFL. The Giants are in a position to pay running back, but I'd imagine they do. They have no need to be paying running backs, but they probably will. When Josh Jacobs' contract ends with the Raiders, I bet they pay it. I bet they pay it. And then, but the player still will not be valuable enough. You'll have beaten him down through that rookie contract and will be able to get similar and sometimes, in some occasions, better production from undrafted to late round players every year. And that's the thing with Aaron Jones is the Packers could have done the smart thing and just let him hit free agency. Let him leave, let him walk, and played A.J. Dillon this year, who's not as good a player as Aaron Jones. That's not, I don't think, even debatable. He's not as good a player at the position as Aaron Jones is. But he would have given them solid production as long as the offensive line play stays the same. Basically, to sum it up, paying at that position is not worth is not worth it because it is largely dependent on everything else around them. Now, Aaron Jones probably won't have, might not have as good a year this year because they're not bringing Corey Lindsley back, who's a massive part of everything they do in that run game. So, like, like we said, the Aaron Jones contract, four years, forty-eight million from the Packers of all teams, man. Whew, I could not believe that. Honestly, I really couldn't believe that when it came across the screen. But it will save my co-host Connor the trauma of having to come on here and talking about if the Dolphins signed him that contract. Although, if they sign Chris Carson, it might be even funnier to listen to because he's not even as good as Jones. So. Hopefully, on the next episode, we'll be able to get Connor on here. Hopefully, we can take a break from the beach for a second and get back on here and talk to you about some of these deals that get agreed to coming on Monday. Uh, good luck to all your teams signing these players. It's agency is exciting, but also kind of nerve-wracking because of how these teams are going to spend their money. And some of them aren't going to do it well. It happens every year. Someone's going to sign a bad contract. So, hopefully, it's not your team. And as always, thanks for listening to the episode, everybody. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe it. My name is Jason Willis. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at jwillisscouting for more content. Follow Connor at ccaplinger and caplinger, K-A-P-L-I-N-G-E-R. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you very much, guys.